I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So I'm recording this intro on Thursday, uh, August 23rd, 4th, and I am ready for my triathlon. As a gift to myself for my 50th birthday, I decided to do a sprint triathlon in Indianapolis. And so for four months, I've been biking, running, and swimming as often as I can. And the whole point of signing up was the training part. So on Saturday, I'm going to go and just collect my trophy, my participation trophy. If I finish, then I win. And it truly has been such a gift to myself thinking of where I was four years ago and now how far I've come, how happy I am. You know, one thing I remember thinking as a drinker is that I could quit if I really wanted to. Like I knew that deep down if one of my kids needed a kidney or a publisher like sent me a big advance to write a book and then wanted to launch me on a world speaking tour, I could totally quit. In fact, often I daydreamed about the reason that would show up in my life that would cause me to take action. Any reason that was strong enough to counter the pull of pouring the nightly cocktail that turned into a half a fifth of vodka every day. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing and living the way I was living. I hated getting blurry and slurry as I drank myself to pass out every night. That wasn't fun. I wanted a reason to quit. I wanted to feel like I had a purpose. You know, a reason to get up in the morning beyond making up for last night so I could just go do it all again. And no matter how well I did during the day, nothing actually would ever make up for the fact that I couldn't control myself with alcohol. It was just eating at the foundation of my self-confidence and joy. I had a secret and that secret was what was making me sick not alcohol. Like now I realize having been sober for more than three years, and I'm able to have a glass of wine and not overdo it. And that is proof that I actually could control myself all along. I just wasn't. And I think about what the difference is between now and then. What has changed? You know, I used to think that I was hardwired to have an addictive personality. But where is that personality now? I was able to quit drinking cold turkey, and I also was able to quit vaping, give up sugar, get off all my food pharmaceutical meds that I always thought were what was keeping my head above the water, and now I am totally comfortable with moderation. I can eat, drink, whatever I want, use medications when they make my life better. I can even hit a vape, like no problem. I still am who I am and I like what I like. I'll tell you what's changed though, and it boils down to one word, belief. 
belief in my ability to know and act in my own best interest, a belief that I can do anything I set my mind to, not only to do the big things in the outside world, which I always kind of felt like I could, but also to do the work in my inside world. I believe I know how to change my thoughts and feelings and habits so that I not only feel safe inside my own mind and body, but I actually enjoy living in my own mind and body. The belief that I can learn to think and feel differently was a game changer. If you've ever read Mindset by Carol Dweck or looked at any of her research, she's a leading researcher in Mindset. So hopefully you've seen there's tons of scientific evidence to support the idea that the only difference between people who are able to change and people who aren't is their mindset. People with a fixed mindset believe that who they are is carved in stone. Their personalities, strengths, and weaknesses are hardwired. And so when they encounter problems or have a setback, they only see evidence of what is not possible for them. And so they give up. People with a growth mindset, on the other hand, believe that they can change a lot about themselves with knowledge and effort, and they see problems and setbacks as a reason to double down, ask for help, go back to the basics or the beginning and figure out what they're missing, practice more. And of course, we can have a fixed mindset in one area and a growth mindset in other. It's not all or nothing. But the coolest part is that all you need to do is realize that a fixed mindset is what is holding you back, especially when it comes to sobriety. You can learn how to apply the growth mindset you already are using in some areas of your life to any other area that you're struggling in. And that is now actually how I coach. I teach women to apply a growth mindset to the drinking problem, not setting the goal of getting sober, but using the goal of being happy, being free. Learning how to enjoy this experience of being sober is the only way you're ever going to regain your God-given right to choose whether or not you actually want to drink. Am I right? Because if you can't control it, then it's really not a choice. It's a hostage negotiation, and you're just trying to make the best of it. Freedom begins with the belief that you can be free and that you want to be free, that you want to be happy. Science shows that people who change the way they drink because they want to be happy are easily and permanently able to change. They simply adjust as they go with a shame-free attitude of analyzing their choices as better or worse. I mean, that's what I do every time I have a drink. Is this, hap- is this making me happy? Was this too much? Like, whatever it is. I'm not ashamed. There's no right or wrong with the drinking. I am here because I want to feel good. So let's make that happen. And I'll tell you what. When I started my recovery business, I did ask my clients to commit to 12 weeks of sobriety. I basically thought that it was my job to not only talk them into quitting drinking, but also to help them see why 100% sobriety was best. I thought being 100% sober was something you had to because I was still subscribing to all of the false non-scientific beliefs of the AA and larger sober community. And, you know, even with that, I was a good coach. My clients learned a lot, made a lot of progress. But I now see that setting the bar 
and saying you have to be 100% sober was me setting an external condition of whether or not it was okay to be happy. And as a coach right now, what I do is show you all of the conditions you're setting and agreeing in advance to be miserable if you don't hit the goal. So I have a completely different approach to sobriety now. And I personally believe that if you're going to have a drink, it should be because you enjoy it and you should enjoy it. And at the very least, consider it an experiment, you know, again, asking better or worse and becoming mindful of the consequences because you know you actually have a choice. And that's how I teach now sobriety, that this is really not about alcohol at all. Yes, yes, there are logistical issues when you break an addiction, especially if you're a heavy drinker like I was, you know, physical and mental strategies that you're going to need in the beginning. So we do talk about alcohol in my program and I provide all of those resources to get through breaking the addiction. But adopting a sober identity and promising to be sober for a long term, that's actually scientifically shown to be a bad idea. All you need to do is focus on self-care, learning how to manage your mind, learning how to regulate your nervous system, taking care of yourself, your basic needs with sleep, healthy food, and exercise, setting boundaries, and working for balance in relationships and career and all of your habits, working for balance so that you can be happy. Because then you wake up in the morning with a purpose that's bigger than the passing urge to drink. That is how it works. And that's how I teach it. And so before I want to dive into the episode, I just want to tell you that I am changing the prices of my program. Technically, I sent an email last Sunday saying prices changed effective immediately. The problem with that is when you have an online business and all of the, you know, landing pages and all that and setting it all up that nothing happens immediately. And so I just want to tell you that if you are interested in working with me in the 12 week program, the next chapter, because you like my approach to sobriety, you got to get in like as soon as the prices are changed, they'll be changed. So could that be today? Could that be, you know, three or four days or a week from now? I don't even know. Once they change, they're done. So if you're thinking about it, just know that the price is going to go up significantly. And I'll explain that the bottom line is after two years of being in this business and loving what I do and creating massive amounts of content and free content and courses and all the things I do and all the coaching I do, I haven't paid myself in two years. In fact, I'm raiding my bank account every time, you know, my Gmails aren't working or I need something fixed or I need computer. I pay for that out of my own money. And it's time. It's time for Colleen to get a paycheck for going to work and not feel anxious and ashamed of a business that's doing so much good. So I sat down with a business uh, model and they looked at my prices and they looked at everything I offered and I'm doing where I'm pricing myself where I need to be in the market. Um, Not just I'm actually still going to be way under than other programs, but I'm going to price myself so that I can get paid. So it just has to be that way. And what was funny is when I told my clients all that, of course, they're all grandfathered in. They've already paid. They were like, yeah, you're really cheap. Like for what we're getting and compared to other things we've done, this is like almost free. So if you want to get it for almost free, then get in the show notes and either watch the free masterclass 
um, that I do that, that kind of explains and lays out my philosophy and the program itself, or I will just put a link directly into the next chapter so that if you are ready to go, you can go. So today's episode is an interview with my friend, Mary Wagstaff, and she's a recovery coach too, and she focuses her teaching on connecting to our sacred feminine energy. And our conversation begins with her story about her path from being a daily drinker for over 20 years and how a simple shift in her perspective unlocked her inner wisdom and intuition and how her life has changed as a result. I so enjoyed talking to Mary. By the end of the episode, we decided that we were officially friends and uh, promised to stay in touch. And I, I think you'll really like our conversation. So enjoy. So Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to get to know you and hear your story and talk about all the things we have in common. Would you tell us, the listeners, just who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely, Colleen. I'm so thrilled to be here. I love meeting people on this path that are interested in kind of the sacred rebellion <laughs> of sobriety, right? Getting back to just our natural selves. And thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to getting to know you more. Uh, my name is Mary Wagstaff. I was just talking to Colleen that currently I am in the foothills of Mount Hood in Oregon, which is about an hour outside of Portland. Um, I'm here with my family, but we are getting ready to take our next big adventure, which probably like Colleen and I were just saying wouldn't have happened had I been drinking this entire time. And I do work as a women's holistic alcohol coach and facilitator of sacred ritual and ceremony, um, creating opportunities to normalize being human, especially yeah. through the feminine lens. Um, so that's really the work that I'm doing currently. And um, But I love making music and I am excited about being in nature all the time. I love physical activity. So I'm going to go out for a hike and a kayak later today. And yeah, I'm just really enjoying being in taking advantage of all the nature that I can right now. Me too. It's amazing how as a drinker, you know, I moved through the world and had no idea that there was this sacred connection that I was missing, not just to myself, but just with my environment. Um, that really, that really hits me as in the heart as well. Before we go into two coaches talking about the benefits of sobriety, would you be willing to share a little bit of your backstory, like who you were and how you came to be who you are now, what, what prompted you, what was life like, and why you are now doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as life goes, it was a journey of self-discovery, of course. And so when I was younger, I was raised in the Catholic church, kind of a liberal Catholic church, but I always remember really loving the ceremony and kind of the, the ritual and theater theatrics of church. Mm -hmm. But there was always a little bit something missing for me that didn't fully connect me to all parts of me. But of course, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that connection was. So I moved along in my life just as a seeker. And I found the science and practice of yoga at a pretty young age, at 18. And immediately there was a shift in my consciousness when I learned about the breath and the breath being this way for me to connect the internal and the external and my own life force and kind of what that meant in a real embodied way that I don't think I got, you know, in the church experience. And so really for 
for, you know, 20 years, I lived this parallel life of seeking how can I live a life of devotion and holistic wellness and self-discovery and inquiry (laughs) Um, and become an, an independent woman. And alcohol was kind of unconsciously presented as it is to us as a tool for independence. And, um, you know, my father owned a couple bars when I was growing up. He actually taught me how to bartend. My mother wasn't really a heavy drinker, but I saw her drinking like in relationships when she was in them. And, you know, it was just always like not a super negative thing, but it was always a thing. And so it was kind of that next natural progression of the like, you know, the rite of passage that we have here in our Western world, which doesn't really give us any tools, right? It just uh, outsources them to something that creates more detriment in our life. But what I wasn't seeing, I, there wasn't a time when I was like making the connection that the life I was leading on one side of seeking and discovering and traveling and studying the esoteric and, and spiritual mysteries that I could actually like use that to look at my relationship to alcohol. I thought I was connecting with myself little, you know, now do I know in retrospect, not happening, you know, it was the opposite of that, but it was the path that led me to where I am now. And so I had my son and it was very obvious to me that it was not the the life I wanted to influence him with. And just knowing that he was picking up on everything and how it was really taking me away. Like I remember putting him to bed at night, reading him a story. And then like in the back of my head thinking like, oh, I can't wait to get back to drinking wine. Right. Mm-hmm. My partner and I were kind of in the same boat where we were both ready to make a shift in our lifestyle, but knowing that we, it had to be very separate because every time we had tried to like quit together, there was an enabling factor, right? So I decided to find a new way to connect with my life by finding new environments to put myself into. So I had started taking hula hoop class lessons, just different ways I had never been in the world, right? As a woman and really asking myself, what kind of mother do I want to be? What kind of woman do I want to be in the world? And I had been pursuing creating a business for myself through movement and personal training and coaching. And I'm like, there's no way this will ever be successful if alcohol is in the way. Like it's, it's gotta go. But I was in, I had resigned myself because at the time I thought I would always want alcohol right? I thought there's no way I will never not have this desire. So I either live with the consequences of alcohol or I live with the consequences of like deprivation. And then, um, you know, things had started shifting for me when I was, I was teaching like mommy baby yoga and kind of connecting with more women. And I had never really been in intimate circles of women. I had had some friends I drank with, of course, but it was always like pretty superficial. And, you know, I had my sisters, but I wasn't, hadn't been living by them for a long time. I knew I wanted to connect with people on a different level. So I had signed up for this retreat in Mexico that was a a, all women's retreat. There was a teacher that I knew that was facilitating it. And I thought, this is it. This is, this is something that's going to give me an opportunity to just dive into a different experience where alcohol is not at the center of it. And lo and behold, (laughs) the divine feminine, you know, rose inside of me. And so Colleen, that was the big shift for me when I really saw that there was this, there was an imbalanced part of me that I just, I was 
looking more as a problem. And really it was my intuition and my emotions that were the portal Hmm. to exploring that part of me that I just kept burying under alcohol and the parts of me that want to be sad and held and confused and even elated and in wonder and in awe. And so when I really started to get closer to my own cycles and rhythms, that there was a filling up of what felt like a void of alcohol. Like when I looked at my future and it felt like a void without alcohol, I started to fill that up from the inside. And I'm not saying it was easy street. Of course, I had to go through, you know, cravings and like navigating the world. But it was like, because I was looking towards what I wanted and who I wanted to become, the choice became more obvious um, because it was just getting back to being human and allowing and giving myself permission for that. I knew the difference very clearly that this was like my alcohol brain and this was my naturally sober brain and that's what this wanted and this was just conditioned. And so... I was like, I've got to share this because I feel very unapologetic about it. And so, yeah, I started sharing the process that I use and really looking at it from a completely different perspective than some of the traditional models. It's been amazing to see the transformation of really letting the feminine be the bridge between deprivation and liberation, not just with alcohol, but with like all of the other boxes that we put ourselves in and all the other conditioned beliefs and behavior we have about life. So it's a full spectrum, holistic experience that it's all intertwined, right? Especially when it comes to alcohol. So that's the short of it. You know, our stories, we create those kind of in hindsight. You know, how long has it been since you made this? Four years since I've been sober. After I went to that retreat, and I just want everyone to know too that you don't have to go on a retreat to Mexico to do this work. It just was the catalyst that gave me a new perspective. Um, Because all the work I did was in the year following that at home with my same people in my same places. Like nothing else really changed. What changed was inside of me. I awoken to something inside of myself that I didn't know existed. Like I could feel it, that's where that push-pull comes from is we know there is something else or else we wouldn't have the push-pull, right? We would just be like, yeah, alcohol is great all the time. But our naturally sober self wants to be, rejects alcohol. And it's just the alcohol that's so strong and overpowers that part of us. So- so one thing I'm curious about, you're a coach, you you work with women, same way I do. And my experience mirrors yours in that I made a decision one day and I didn't turn back. But I deal with a lot of women who don't make that decision and still make progress and yeah. still are on their own journey. But it's been a journey for me to learn how to coach those women. You know, in coaching school, they teach us, you know, it's the the client sets the agenda. And for a long time as a coach, I believed that with everything except alcohol. Like I kind of thought it was my job that you cannot have this transformation until you make the decision to move forward with zero alcohol. And because that was my experience. And now the longer I coach women, the more I can see that everybody gets here in different ways. How do you perceive the decision to make zero alcohol, you know, from here on out 
as the foundation of that journey or that transition? Or how do you make room for women that you coach when they are not there yet? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. It's it's so like, it's come up so much recently. And I was actually just working with someone who I learned so much from for this perspective, because it's like, you're on the other side of it and you see it and you're like, let's just do it. And here's the tools and here's how you process and urge and all the things. And this person and the coaching environment we created really gave herself permission to let it be a process. And that is something I teach. This is a process because I did have a year after that retreat to when I had my last drink where I was dismantling my beliefs. So I do believe there's kind of two pieces to the puzzle. There's the belief and the behavior. And what I just talked to her about is I said, you know, we're dismantling your beliefs. You were in a completely different mindset and drinking is like, way less. The impact is way less. However, there is the chemical of alcohol that is a very strong reward that is a drug that reinforces patterning, right? So it's a little bit of the both. And I think knowing that is just a good thing to know. Because if you're always reinforcing the same emotion that you have, well, then we're never going to get to what that pieces. So what I work with is we, instead of counting days, we more count circumstances. We generate evidence that it is working and that you're having an amazing time and you have all this evidence for you on the other side of where you once believed something different. So I think you can unpack your beliefs one at a time, especially with the work that we do where we really are unpacking the beliefs and it's not this black and white. But then again, alcohol is an addictive drug. So there's that too. There's that too. There's negative side effects. It is a drug. Um, yeah, I just welcome women to give themselves full permission yeah. because I think what you spoke to the crux of choice, you know, if you believe that you can't control your drinking and therefore you have to be sober, it's a forced choice. And if you continue to drink, but you're experiencing it as a choice, then you're much more mindful of the actual consequences and you're not bullshitting yourself and what you think alcohol is you're experiencing it for what it is. And then you're asking yourself, is this making me happy? I mean, I actually teach that sobriety is a medium that the ultimate goal is happiness. Right. And you're allowed to decide what makes you happy. Yep. A hundred percent. I love that. I always joke that I don't use the F word, which is forever. (laughs) Oh, I was going to be like, oh, I'm fucking sorry. (laughs) No, no, I use that word, but you know, that's the biggest thing is, you know, our brains want to go to these hypothetical futures of the vacation that's not even planned yet and the wedding and the wine tasting and all the things. And I'm like, yeah, we don't use the word forever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's in this moment and you get to decide in this moment with how you're feeling right now, what needs do I have that need to be met right now? Yeah. And that is just a story that doesn't even exist yet. So next Tuesday does not exist. Yeah, exactly. And then what happens is the forever flips where they start to not being able to see themselves bringing alcohol into their lives in the way that it once was. Right. So it's where forever felt like a void and scary. It's when we unpack those beliefs slowly that 
thinking about now what they just did and had evidence for, it's like, oh, I don't want to do it that way anymore. I remember when I flipped my mindset, I can't say this one was a turn off or turn on, but I was always uncomfortable identifying as an alcoholic. But there was a point when I was able to articulate this, I'm making a decision, I'm not identifying as an alcoholic. And I remember saying, I will always have the choice to drink. There is no, I can't drink. Right. And transitioning from I can't drink, the more I gave myself a choice. I mean, you have a little one. When you give your little kid a choice, a kind of a grown up choice, like they take that shit seriously. And yep. I found that my body took that very seriously too, because if I'm fully able to choose alcohol in any given situation, that's really the only way I can say no because I don't have to drink. And yeah. I can choose like in this moment, I'm perfectly satisfied or I'm not satisfied and pouring alcohol on it isn't going to help. But yeah. realizing that I truly had a choice really helped me make the turn. And then when you have the choice and the goal is to make yourself happy, you don't suffer from cravings because right. cravings are by definition, a desire to do something. Well, if you want to yeah. do it, do it. And then it's like, well, shit, maybe I don't want to do it. You know, it's that resistance to being told you can't that keeps that craving system alive. Hey, if you want to do it, knock yourself out and then let me know tomorrow how it goes. Yeah, that, that was a real shift in my personal power. That was a big shift for me too. I'm so glad you said that. I tell people that too. And they're kind of like, because it's very counterintuitive. I said that to myself, girl, you know full well what's going to happen tomorrow. So if you go for it, like this is your choice, like you're yep. grown. If, but there will be no shaming yourself. There will be, this was like kind of at the end, there will be no shaming yourself. There will be no regret. So I just make that decision right now. And then I was like, oh, fine. It didn't have that same pull yeah. anymore. Once I fully laid it out and was like, put on my big girl pants. And I was like, you're a woman. Like you get to decide this. Yeah. And yeah, it, that completely shifted it for me too. And then if I did drink, it was just not right. It was like all gone. The luster of all of it had just been like, oh, this isn't even fun. Yeah. Cause the craving and the release from the craving came from that push pull, right? The not having the choice or thinking like I'm doing this when I know I shouldn't be, or said I wasn't going to be. So yeah. yeah, beautifully articulated. I absolutely love that. I think that's such a huge missing piece in a lot of the conversation. Well, maybe you can go a little deeper than I saw something that you wrote about the impact of a belief mm. of addiction and how to create lasting change. What do you think the impact is on that belief of whether it be addiction, whether it be you can't control yourself because you can't stop? Like, what do you, yeah. what belief is it that you can identify as problematic in terms of lasting change that has to be addressed? <laughs> yeah, that's such a good question. Well, first of all, I've been talking a lot about addiction because I think addiction is this taboo word that has really created an othering in the alcohol world, right? Like, it's not so taboo when you joke about coffee. It's like, oh, I'm addicted to coffee or whatever, right? Yeah. But God forbid you're addicted to alcohol, which most people are at some level, even if it's just emotionally. And we know now it's a spectrum, right? But when you say no to a drink, if you have resistance to that, there's some attachment there, right? So you can use the word attachment, habit, addiction. Um, 
and words are very powerful, right? But I think when we when we can just say, I was I was addicted to alcohol. I was fully addicted, but I never identified with a label of alcoholism. I think that there's spectrums of dependency for sure, mm-hmm. but I think that spectrum comes from our inner resilience and coping and our connection to the divine, to ourselves and to the other. So bringing addiction into like kind of a neutral place, I think is so important because then you don't have the added belief that I am, that it is me. It is innate part of my character because I was addicted to alcohol, but I am fully a hundred percent, 110 percent not addicted to alcohol anymore. And that was what I was sharing in my story. That's the belief that you can be addicted to alcohol and then not addicted to alcohol through a process of rewiring your brain and shifting your beliefs. If you hold the belief that you had when you were addicted to alcohol, you will stay addicted, right? You will continue to have those cravings because of your beliefs. And you know this because this is the work you do. Um, And I think then in that post that I had talked about that moderation, the reaching for moderation, which everyone kind of thinks at the beginning is their dream, right? That moderation is the dream. And I'm like, girl, moderation is not the dream of your life. Like moderation keeps alcohol in the headlines of your life. And it takes up just as much as if not more space than if you were just drinking and not worrying about it. But Like alcohol doesn't take up any space in my brain now, besides the fact that I talk about it all day with my clients. (laughs) I know. I say the same exact thing. I'm like, I have no relationship with alcohol. It's just my entire career. That's all. That's all. But otherwise, we all good. Well, one of the things that was an early um, pump for me was Holly Whitaker's book. That was the first book I read after I quit drinking. And she talked about how alcohol is actually suppressing women. And she brought the feminist movement, if you will, although I don't know that any of us want to call it that, but she brought this where I had thought I have a right to drink. I can drink like a man. You know, I have equal access and you can't stop me from drinking if I want to. I'm not going to be a pretty little woman, you know, give me a whiskey or whatever. Like I bought into that hard, you know, that was on my t-shirts. And so I know you talk about how alcohol is a source of feminine oppression. When I quit drinking and learned how the big alcohol switched their marketing in the early 2000s and in the early 2010s to everything is pink washed and skinny vodka and skinny girl margaritas and all of a sudden, like, I'm older than you. When my first son was born, it was 1997. There, alcohol was not everywhere. It was a party foul if you would show up with wine at 10 a.m. By the time my youngest was born, you know, so this is cl- coming up closer to 2010, it was a party foul to show up empty-handed. What do you mean we're not drinking Prosecco at lunch? Right. And so I can see that all of us really just were in this pitcher plant or this man-eating fly trap or whatever. Can you speak to your, how you see alcohol as a source of feminine oppression? Yeah. Whew, there's so much there, right? It's like huge. Um, well, the thing is that women have been encouraged and to go out into the world and be independent and have careers and do all of these things, right? 
But there's like, they're also still holding a lot of the same responsibilities that they've always held in the home as mother, as wife, as, as caretaker. And, and then we went out into this independent world and through the lens of the masculine, right? It wasn't a structure that was built to meet everyone's needs. And we could look at all sorts of different demographic groups, right? So there was this idea of like, belly up to the bar. I can do what you can do. And that was kind of the feminist movement right now, where I think we're really cycling back to more of a feminine movement of, I can do what you can't do, right? I yeah. There are these innate gifts inside of me. I mean, we all, man, man and woman, all have masculine and feminine energies inside of us, and it's finding that balance. But I do think it's that overriding of emotions that there was like a lot of competitive nature, right? To, to get to the top, to get to that one position <laughs> that only one woman was going to get. So it created a lot of competition instead of collaboration and community. And traditionally, women have sat in circle and in ceremony, you know, the matriarchy of taking care of the children and the family. And so there is part of that that's innate inside of us. And I always think it's the both and it's never black yeah. and white or either or, but I think that there's this, this piece of connection that was taken away from us just through going out and having to you know, have your menstrual cycle and go to a board meeting or whatever, yeah. you know. The 40 hour work week is, you know, a mental construct that was designed for men who have wives at home, you know, and exactly. then we all went out and went into it. It's no wonder we're drinking by ourselves at night because that's exactly. Crazy. Yeah. And then having to take care of all the th other things that we're taking care of. And I always say, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like we're here mm -hmm. now and how do we want to do it different? Yes. And I'm not here to fix a broken system. I'm really here to create a new one. The system so is broken and it's not your job to fix it, but you can unsubscribe. Like that's I all that. we can do is opt out. We can save ourselves. And I have found that like it's a mental shift to unsubscribe yeah. and you don't have to, to proselytize. You don't have to be the asshole. You don't have to never go anywhere. It's just changing how you see yourself within the greater yeah. system. And I see myself on the out, like unsubscribe to unsubscribe. all future emails, please. I don't, I don't. I don't need all of that. Yeah. Crazy. Making. And we can start just treating each other differently too. And, you know, there is definitely a resurgence. I facilitate a monthly women's circle around the full moon time. And there's definitely a resurgence of women connecting through the lens of what I call the feminine mysteries. And I think it's a very sacred movement that has been shamed and you know, buried and seen as a inconvenience and gross when in actuality it is what creates life. Right. And so this is, was what really flipped the script for me, where I was raised by a single mom who was very independent, but she kind of had to fight her way to the top. Right. So it was like yeah. fighting to get there instead of doing it with compassion and grace. And that's the thing. And that's why we're unsubscribing and, you know, through the work that you're doing and I'm doing and so many amazing feminine leaders are doing now in the world is we can lead by example and help other women have permission to really honor yeah. 
We live in cycles and rhythms. Just look outside your window, right? The sun is going to be going down earlier in a week from now. And we are that. And I think that that's kind of the disconnect is the cultural achievements and industrial and all of the things that we're doing has disconnected us from our most innate natural selves. And so it's left us with this void. And then there's alcohol very promoted as a rite of passage where in traditional cultures, young men and women were taught how to go out and really embrace the next phase of life, not dissociate from it. Right. And so we just don't have that right now in our modern world, but I think it's coming back because the mental health crisis in our, in our world is like, we need to have tools from a much younger age to learn how to connect and be closer to our humanity because our humanity is kind of going further away from us in some ways with technology and AI and all of those things. So there's a balance and I think it is up to the individual and the people teaching the young kids about personal responsibility and how to be human. Like we are animals. I did a workshop last week on sleep and Like the number one thing you can do is early morning sunlight viewing and then gazing at the sunset to anchor your circadian rhythm. Like that improves your sleep by 50%. And I can't believe how far I've come in that I used to think my body and nature was something to be outsmarted, challenge accepted. I can take drugs to wake myself up, put myself out. Like I am in control. And I would say beyond the effects of alcohol, you know, just keeping you stuck and all of that, that is my greatest gift of having a clear mind is realizing that to pay attention to the cycles and Mm. to respect them. And I would say that even again, beyond sobriety, living within the rhythms of the day, the month has done so much for my mental health, my sleep cognitive function, connection with other people. When I get upset now, I don't reach for Xanax or go bitch to a friend. Like I just walk outside and look at the birds. That sounds so lame. My former self would be rolling her eyes and being like, are you kidding me right now? But I would have to say that reconnecting with these cycles, like we're so busy and working so hard looking for drugs and workarounds and all this shit. And it's like, no, you're an animal. You are not nocturnal. You are not meant to stare at screens all day. You can, but just putting in these breaks where you reconnect and anchor yourself in the natural world allows you to exist in the digital world. I mean, you and I both exist in the digital world, but I think that's something I could have never accessed with, you know, the daily drinking cycle. It just, it's just not available. It's just yeah. Not. Yeah. You don't have the depth of it. Right. And that's the thing we're really, when you said we're not nocturnal, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're overriding your natural rhythms. And I think something culturally that women fall, I mean, I don't know any woman that has not been on a diet or some exercise regimen. I don't know one. Right. And so there's this kind of under subconscious belief too of this forever young mentality where it's like, Oh wow. If I go to bed at nine o'clock on a Friday night, like what's going on. Right. I think there is, there's this resistance to that shift as well. Like like something is supposed to happen every Friday night, right? And it's like, we get to just be in the emotion of achievement, in the emotion of receiving 
a night of relaxation or not having to get up in the morning with our alarm or whatever. And, um, and make it desirable, you know, like yes. who knew it? I turned 50 this month and at 50, I force myself. Sometimes I have to force myself, but I go to bed, you know, between nine and nine 30, not every night. I'm not getting a perfect prize, but I, on a, as a general rule, I go to bed. I don't have to set an alarm. I wake up naturally. I spend some time outside. I'm not training for the Olympics, but I move every day. And at almost 50, I take no medications. Like my 30 year old self had a pill bag bigger than my grandma. And I was constantly trying to titrate, you know, my ups, my downs, my moods, my energy. And now like, oh my God, my body just does all that. And the less I fuck with it, the better I get. And like, if I was going to do a commercial for it, I'd just be like, you will feel so amazing when you stop trying to screw with it. I think that's what we think is being human is somehow bad because we're all supposed to be superheroes. But the more you lead into the rhythms of your body and the cycles and nature, the more powerful you become. You don't need all these crutches all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so elated for you. How good does that feel to know at 50, you just, you're like in this completely different place than you were at 30. I mean, I get on a plane. I don't, I don't take medications. You know, I don't need to like, it's amazing. It's it's freedom. But of course I didn't get that way overnight, but you know, I'm menopause now. I don't have hot flashes. My immune system works. My hormones work. My sleep works. Like everything works. The first step was giving up alcohol, you know, but then because I gave up alcohol, that allowed me to pay attention to what you're talking about. It gave me the bandwidth, the availability, the desire and there was no roadblocks anymore. You know, yeah, I was able yeah. to take those actions. Couldn't, couldn't well, be better. about being a superhero, I think that that's, that's kind of the other little bit of a missing, the piece of the feminine is there is, we have intuition, right? There is this magical wisdom of the miracle that is our body and the system and the life force. I mean, we didn't create ourselves, right? Like we had no part in this process, but again, you can unsubscribe right? So even though there might be the society, just unsubscribe. Like that's what I tell people. They are going to keep telling you that you have to subscribe, but you don't. Because our economy is fueled by disorders and disease. Like nobody makes money on well, independent people. Like that's not profitable. And so from the food we're sold to the shiny shit we're sold to the alcohol, the pharmaceuticals, you know, all of it. And so, yeah, you, you have to unsubscribe, you know? So yeah, I I love that. Yeah. I say that, that no one makes money off of a woman's innate pleasure. Right. And that's the other part of it too. Women have been given permission to experience pleasure through the lens of alcohol. It's like, if you're sexier or, you know, expressing yourself or dancing or maybe promiscuous, even under the lens of alcohol, it's somehow okay and acceptable, but you know, God forbid you go out into the woods on your own and want to dance around naked under the moonlight and you're crazy. Um, right. <laughs> but if you're topless on a cruise, it's okay. Right. We're going to, we're going to like I know. exploit you and sell videotapes of it. So 
it really is just coming back to the most natural, innate parts of us. And the calling for women to make this change is their intuition. Deep inside, there is a voice. And right now, it might be a whisper. But I believe the most innate part of you calling you home and that part just kind of gets quieted by the alcohol, by all the other things. But if you keep following that voice and that thread, it is what's going to lead you to freedom, to liberation, and to not have to be in deprivation at all. Yeah, it's liberating. It's it's counterintuitive, but it's fucking freedom. So one of the things that caught my attention that led to this conversation was you're writing a book. And I want to hear about that. Is it when does it come out? What is it about? Well, I mean, I'm kind of in the half stages. I'm working with a book coach. And so it is all about my, the work that I do and, you know, a little bit of my story woven in there, but it really will be a companion guide for women to take a journey. And right now my working title is called Beyond Alcohol. And it is really for the woman who is ready to liberate herself from the story, right? And she's evolving, right? This is a a leveling up. This is not a step back. So I am hoping by next April that it will be ready printed and you will have a copy of it, Colleen. I will send one to your door. So I like to put it out there now because as much as I can talk about it, I feel like it manifests it more and I am in active working on it. Well, I wrote a book and it took three years full time, you know, and it was a year beyond what I thought it would be, what I thought it should be, but we don't operate on shoulds. We work with reality these days, but I can tell you that the best thing you can do is put that date on the calendar and work towards it. And then you just accept, you know, that things happen, but congratulations. I only people who have written a book. It's kind of like owning your own business. Right. Those words, unless you've done it, you don't really get it. And so I understand yeah. the book writing process and what a labor of love that is. Mm-hmm. So really I, can't, is. I can't wait to read it. Beyond the book, how would my listeners find you? Do yeah. you want to say anything about what you do or how people yeah. get in contact with you? I know you have a <laughs> podcast and I'm sure that's how I found you. You were one of my first podcasts in early sobriety. Amazing. Yeah. So that yeah, stop, way stop Drinking and Start Living is the podcast. It's a weekly show and it's definitely approaching a different perspective, Colleen. That's why I love having this conversation with you because it's really coming at it through the lens of liberation and what we're moving towards and the rest of our life, right? It's all about curiosity. Like, what is my life like when I no longer think about alcohol? Well, I'll yeah. tell you, girl, it's amazing. <laughs> so marywagstaffcoach.com and there's links to all the things there, the podcast and all the other things that I have going on. And um, I know, Colleen, can you tell me what the name of your book is? Because I want to write it down. It is called Life Off the Label, a handbook for creating your own brand of health and happiness. And I wrote that when I was still drinking. So I'd like to thank my co-author, Vodka. But I have to say, it's one of my proudest things, you know, and it just goes to show there's no shame in wherever you are in life. I wrote that book and yes, I was a daily drinker, but man, so writing that book could have been a lot easier. Maybe it's not as hard as I think it is, but, you know, trying to manage a daily drinking habit with the book writing process, but it's still one of my best achievements. And it's more about at the time I was a coach for nutrition, plant-based diet, and and gut health. 
So it's my journey and it predates my alcohol realizations, but I had an eating disorder, bulimia, and then I went into veganism and then came out of that. And so, you know, I think anybody reading that book would see very quickly that alcohol would be next because I talk about openly, you know, my concerns about it. Um, But it's not about recovery. Yeah. You were obviously already on the path of redefining life off the label, right? Like yeah, redefining and kind of exploring and getting curious about these boxes that we live in. And so, which is why I made the jump so quick to life off of the alcoholic or life off of even the sober identity, you know, sober is a form of self-care life sleep. Like it's not a lifestyle. You don't have to get the t-shirt and the bumper sticker and all of that, you know, it's called there's just not alcohol in my glass. It's just life. It's not yeah. a thing. Yeah. I yeah, that's what I say. I say you're not sober in light of alcohol. You're sober in light of being a human. And yeah. so I love yeah. that, Colleen. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And I will put, is there anything I didn't ask you? I will put a link to your website in the show notes. Is there anything else? No, that's all. I think that sounds great. Well, thank you so much. It's been so fun to chat with you. And I love these in-depth conversations where we just let it rip because we uncover some good stuff. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. So that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you for listening. And you still have a few more days if you're participating in my uh, review, rate and review challenge. That'll end at the end of August. I'm giving $10 for every review to the She Recovers Foundation. Most of you with Apple are not going to be able to, with that don't have Apple are not going to be able to participate because I don't know why, but it's iTunes where you leave the review. So if you can't do that and you want to send me an email or DM me on Facebook, I will take your um, testimonial or your review or whatever, and I'll just use it on my socials or include it on in emails I send out or whatever. And I don't normally put people's names on it, um, especially if it comes to me in an email. If you have a preference specifically, like, you know, like on iTunes, you can put some other fake name, username or whatever. And so I'm really careful not to divulge uh, people's identity unless you make it very clear you want me to use your name. So if you want me to use your name and you're sending me in an email, then make that clear. Otherwise, I'm going to assume it's a non, it's no, and I'll just use fake initials, which is often what I do. And then once again, if you're wanting to get in on my current price plan for the next chapter, get in the show notes and either register for the emotional sobriety webinar, which if you've not watched it, you want to watch that for sure. Um, So do that. And then you can either sign up right away or book a discovery call with me. But as soon as the prices are gone, they're gone. Um, And I know all, all of my people get that like it's it's been too long. It's time for me to to have a fair living wage for myself. So anyway, get in on that if you want, and I'll see you next week.